Thank you all for uh, leading us in worship and, and preparing our hearts and getting us ready uh, to continue on in worship this time in the Word of God. So uh, I love it. I love the words of that, even in that bridge we just sang, uh, of a reminder of may your kindness pursue us. We're told in Scripture that the goodness and mercy of God will pursue us all of the days of our lives. And it is a good thing that God pursues us, and He doesn't need us to pursue Him. In fact, He pursues us when we're running. And, and so that is a great truth to end on uh, that beginning part of our worship time. So thank you for that. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to be here with you. I hope you had a great week on 4th of July. I know many of you joined us down at the beach this week, uh, and, and we had a great time. I want to thank uh, the young adults who uh, put on that event for us at the beach. I, some of them are still in here. Um, so that, that was a great event. I already heard some uh, trash talking for next year's cornhole tournament. Um, the, the winning team was kind of fun. It was a multi-generational team. We had a young adult and a um, middle adult, and so they were uh, on the same team together and, and dominated everybody, and they were uh, trash talking and everything. So um, I'm ready for next year. Uh, also, I uh, want to just thank the uh, leadership of the 50-plus ministry. They had a fun event again this Friday night. Um, so good, good times around here. Uh, just some fun things going on. It reminds me of just the joy of being a part of a church family and church community uh, to have people that you can enjoy life with. And so thank you, um, all of you who kind of put on the couple of events this last week. Uh, this morning, we're going to continue in our study in the book of Philippians, so I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 3. If you are new to Scripture, uh, you're always welcome to use your phone or a tablet, and if you want to use a hard copy, Flip, book of Philippians is kind of near the end of the Bible, and uh, if you don't have a Bible, we do have copies available on the back tables, and if you don't have your own, you're welcome to take that. It's our gift to you. That this morning, we're t- we, in the study in the book of Philippians, we get to a point where Paul, he's the one who wrote this letter and wrote this book, comes to what I think is a very encouraging piece of scripture. It's an encouragement for us as he really talks about his focus on Christian growth and what it looks like to mature as a follower of Jesus. But then he gives us this kind of, um, I would say, hope of, of what it means to move on and continue to mature. And, and Paul really is relating to the life of being a follower of Jesus, of, of becoming someone who's being changed more and more into the likeness of Jesus. And that's his singular focus. That's what we call for Christian maturity, is this process of becoming more and more like him. But Paul refers to it really as a marathon. It, it, it's this journey that doesn't, ha- it, it's not a sprint and it's not something that's easy. There's ups and downs along the way. And that's part of it. And, and I was thinking about this um, when I was looking at this passage, a few years ago, my wife said something to me. She said some words that I don't think I'll ever say. You'll probably never hear me say them. She came to me and she said, hey, Ryan, I want to run a marathon. I, I don't think I'll ever, you'll ever hear me say I want to run a marathon. I don't ev- ever even say I want to run. But so she said she wants to run a marathon. So I quickly, um, through her, started learning all that that means. It's not just, okay, just fight it out and run 26 miles, but the whole process of training and preparing for that involves learning to, to not just strengthening your heart and your lungs and, and, and your muscles, but you have to also train your body to process food in a way that gives you the energy you need at certain times. Um, I even learned that certain food you process to keep your brain functioning because people will actually kind of break down and start hallucinating and stuff if they don't have the right nutrition while they're running, which why would anyone ever do that to themselves? I don't know. But so 
that's kind of some of the process there. But uh, part of the training is, is she would uh, have to increase. And how many of you have run a marathon in here, by the way? Marathon runners? Okay. We do have support groups for you guys. And uh, just so you can <laughs> talk it out, find out what unresolved issues you have. And, and so, but yeah, part of the process of training is, is she had to get her run, the, the runs that she would do each week would be a little bit further. And I remember when she got up to the point where it was 20 miles. And, and I think that was the longest one that she did before the actual marathon. And this 20-mile run, when she got to that point, um, they, they recommend that you have someone come along with you to do that and because it's just so long. And so she asked me to come along with her that day. And, and no, I didn't run next to her for 20 miles. I rode my bike um, next to her for 20 miles and tried to keep her company. And even that, it was kind of hard to figure out when do you need me to encourage you and when do you need me just to shut up and let me run, you know. Not that that happened, but if it did, I was trying to figure that out. And, and, you know, it sounds really encouraging when your husband's like, hey, you're doing great. You only have 17 more miles. You'll you'll be fine. Um, So I had to kind of learn how to be encouraging in this process. Um, But the one thing I realized is even just 20 miles, that is a long way. 20 miles is a long way, and it takes a long time. There's a lot of pain involved. I mean, my back was hurting, my arms were hurting, running, ne- uh, riding next to her, that was not easy. And, and so, I, and that was the last time I, d- I did it. It was too hard. But <laughs> what I realized on a marathon, though, is you can't focus on what's behind you if you want to succeed. If you focus on, okay, I've made it 10 miles, I've only made it 10 miles, I have 10 more to go, or 16 more to go, you're going to struggle. You have to keep focused on where you're getting to and where you want to go. And this morning as we look through the book book of Philippians and we're in chapter 3, Paul starts talking about what it means as we grow in in our maturity in our uh, Christian life of the importance of being able to look ahead. The importance about uh, what I call it looking forward, looking past your past. And and so today Paul is going to encourage us as a Christian growth to be people who look forward instead of backwards. So before we get into the text, I want to invite you to join me in prayer. So let's pray. God, we thank you for this time, and I pray, Lord, that as we're here in this place, there's people in many different places. Some have been on the Christian journey, the Christian marathon for for decades, and have been growing in their life with you, and some are just beginning, some are coming with doubts, some are skeptical, some are struggling, some feel unworthy today. Wherever we're at, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us through your words and let them be yours, not mine. And would you continue to shape and transform our lives and our hearts that we may be more like you as your life is lived more and more through us, more of you and less of us. So our prayer is this morning, you'd meet us where we're at. And Lord, let us hear what we need to hear this morning. In your name, amen. So Philippians chapter 3, let's read the text together here and then we'll go back and explore it a little bit more. Philippians chapter 3, picking it up in verse 12. It says this, Not that I have already obtained it, or have already been become perfect, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which I was also laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. 
I press on towards the goal, the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if there's anything you have a different, if any of you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you also. However, let us keep living by the standard to which we have attained. So when we look at this passage here, verse, picking up in verse 12, I want to teach you to, to memorize something when you are reading scripture, and that's this phrase, the text in context. We always want to take a passage of scripture and read the bigger piece that's attached to, uh, so we can have a complete understanding of what it means. So text in context, if we see today, obviously we need to know more, because he starts off and says, not that I've already obtained this. So what is the context that Paul is writing about. We need to think back through last week. Last week, the verses that are preceding this, Paul is speaking and he says, what I want to do is I want to forget what lies behind. Everything I've accomplished is worthless compared to knowing Christ. He says, I want to know Jesus. I want to gain Christ. I want to be found in him. I want to find my life wrapped up. I want to share in his sufferings. I want to know his power from the resurrection. And, And essentially what Paul is saying is the goal of his Christian life, he said, was to fully have more of Jesus and less of him. And that is the process that he wanted. And, and so when we look at this, that's the, the context that we have here. Paul's saying, I just want more of my life to be all about Jesus and only Jesus. And Paul knew that the, more, that the goal of our lives is to experience the life of Christ and his power, his resurrection, his, all of that means seeing our old life die and our new life in Christ become more and more evident. That means those who may be going from a life where you struggle with anger to being someone who has patience. Perhaps for you, you are moving from being judgmental to sympathetic to others. Maybe selfish to generous. Maybe critical to compassionate. It's a process of the old self dying and being chipped away and the new life in Christ. It's Christian growth, Christian maturity that Paul says is his goal. That's what motivates him. But then verse 12 is today where he says, but I haven't already obtained this or become perfect. And in this passage, he uses the word perfect a couple times. You can make it, if your translation says perfect, you can actually change that if you want. A better rendering here should be mature. So later on even it says, as many of you are perfect, he's not actually saying to be perfect in, in our sense of it, but being mature. So he says, I'm not already fully matured in my faith. Now I don't know about you, when someone who wrote half of the New Testament says, I haven't arrived yet, I kind of find comfort in that. That, that. That's good news for all of us that Paul was still in process because You are still in process. I am still in process. And Paul, so the first thing he says is, I want my life to be fully recognized by Jesus living his life through me, but I'm not there yet. I'm in process. Look at the person next to you and say, you are in process. Go ahead, tell them, tell them. We want to remind that truth this morning. You are in process. Spouses, you have permission to not say that to each other. Just have the person in front of you say it so you don't, cause of trouble. (laughs) Yeah, Paul says, I'm in process. I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. And that is good news for us. But then he goes on and he says this, so, but I press on that I may take hold 
of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I'm going to keep moving forward so I can fully grasp and, and, and understand and live out the purpose for which God called me and took hold of me in the first place. Jesus has a purpose for your life. You're here, you're hearing this. I believe that's true. Some of you need to hear that today. You might look at your past and you might think of your current life. You might think of last night and say, there's no way God has a purpose or even wants me in part of his family, but he does. And he's called you here today and he has a reason to bring you into friendship with him and to relationship with him. And he has taken hold of your life for a reason. And Paul says, I haven't fully taken hold of it. I haven't fully understood that yet, but I, am pers- I want to get there. And then Paul says this. Let's look back at verse 13. I don't regard myself as having laid hold of that yet. I'm not all the way there where God wants me. But one thing that I do, and then he gives a couple kind of qualifiers, which we'll go back to. He says, the one thing I do while forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, the one thing I do in verse 14 is I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And and Paul here is using actually, probably he's using uh, competition or Olympic language. He's pressing on for the prize of this call, this upward call. And, And this is imagery of being called up on a podium and receiving a prize. Essentially what he's saying is, moving towards and being called to this completeness in Christ that one day he'll understand when he's called upward, standing in the right, or with Jesus in heaven. He's, I'm pressing on to take hold of that. But I want to focus a little bit on the two qualifiers that he says are an important part of this. This maturity and growing in maturity, what is required is this. He says, one thing that helps me Forgetting what lies behind and pressing on towards what lies ahead. So I want to look at that first one. Forgetting what lies behind. I call it learning to look past your past. We want to look past our past. Now, what I believe that means is there's a couple things. One, it's looking past your past successes as well. Looking past all the things that you've accomplished that are even good. And I don't mean forgetting it and saying it doesn't have a part of your life. It's not part of your identity. I don't mean that. But it's dwelling on that. Paul says, I forget these things, what lie behind. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, he actually says, I count all things lost compared to knowing Christ, my Lord. I look past my past successes. Sometimes when we dwell too much on our past successes, it can lead to being prideful. We can look around and say, look what I, hey, at least I'm not as bad as those people. Look how far I've come. I'm all right. I'm not that bad. Look at this. The other thing that, look, when we dwell on our past successes, we can become stagnant in our faith. We can say, well, I've already come far enough. <laughs> I mean, how much more Christ-like do you want me to become? I mean, come on. <laughs> it's already, and, and, and I get it. Some of you have been walking with the Lord for like 70 years. I've often thought of that as like, God, what will you still be chipping away in my life 70 years from now? Now, in my case, there's so much that there's plenty. There's plenty to go. But there's this idea that we always have something to learn and grow. We're in new phases of life. Understanding what life in Christ looks like, it's always going to take on new form. And so let's not dwell on the past successes. The other thing is this. Looking past your past failures. And this is the one that probably we get hung up on the most. Is dwelling on our past failures. 
And there's a couple of areas of that. One is the actual things we do that lead to guilt. It's maybe the sin in your past. Paul says, I'm going to forget about what lies behind and press on to take hold of, of the goal of what God calls me to. I'm going to forget about the past. I'm going to understand that I don't have to live in the guilt of my past decisions any longer. In Psalm chapter 103, verses 11 and 12, I have it for you on the screen, says this. God's writing and he's, or when and the scripture says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Grasp that. As far as the east is from the west. So, can someone here tell us how far the east is from the west? See, if he said the north and south, we have a north pole, a south pole, we can measure it, but it is the east and the west. There is no stopping point. God takes your past sins in Christ Jesus and throws them as far as they are from east to the west. They're gone. They're done away with. Don't let your past, the guilt from your past, be something you dwell on. It's taken care of in Jesus Christ on the cross for all who acknowledge and have faith in the work that he did for you. The other part of it is, so we want to look past our past failures, the guilt side of the things you've done, but also the shame. The shame is what we think our past defines us and tells us who we are. There's some of you in here this morning and you feel like your identity is a failure as a parent. Maybe you're a failure as a spouse. Maybe you're a failure as an employer or you're a failure as an employee. Maybe you just say, I'm a failure in my, as a follower of Jesus. And you, you, the past keeps trying to define you and you experience shame because you say, God, I, I'm not good enough. Recently, uh, a few months ago, I found a, a story in scripture that I've never noticed before. I think it was recently added. And um, <laughs> it's in the book of Zechariah. And maybe that's why it was new to me. Uh, <laughs> But in Zechariah chapter 3, I, I want to point you to an interesting story that I believe deals with our past. And in Zechariah chapter 3, this is, this is a vision that Zechariah the prophet's having, and he says, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest. So there's this image, this vision of the high priest over Israel, who's supposed to be the one who is kind of interceding on behalf of the nation of Israel, kind of the connection with God. You expect Joshua to be the most spiritual of, of all the people in Israel. And so he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and, standing before, or, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. Now, picture that. How, how would you like to be in that situation where you're standing in heaven before God and Satan's next to you to accuse you? I, I mean, I don't know. That's called not having a great day, right? But now it gets better. So the Lord says to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? And this is, he's speaking of Joshua now. And God says, Joshua, I have taken him out of the fire. He has a purpose. I have taken him out for a reason. So he looks at Satan like, yeah, I know you're accusing him, but I have a purpose for this guy. Now, look at the next verse, verse 3 of Zechariah chapter 3. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel of the Lord. 
So now what you have, there's even more, sto- no, more to this story. You have the high priest of Israel standing before the Lord in filthy garments, which is symbolic for being sinful and unclean, unworthy to be there. And Satan is accusing him. Now notice this. Satan doesn't even need to make up anything about Joshua. He just has to say, look at this guy. Look at him standing before you, unclean. You guys ever realize Satan doesn't usually have to make up stuff about our failures, does he? (laughs) He doesn't have to come up with accusations that are untrue. He can just point to the truth. Look at this person. That's a picture of what's happening here. He's just saying, look, this person is unworthy. How can this person be standing in your presence, filthy garments, and you've called him to be the high priest? This is called a difficult situation here. (laughs) How many of you this morning feel like you're standing before God in filthy garments? And all you hear is accusations that are, are true. Look at you. Look at the sin you struggle with. Look at the attitude of your heart. Look at how you failed God. Look how you failed your friends. And the accusations are being thrown. You don't need any help to be accused. You already have. It's all true. It's true of Joshua. But look at the next verse now. Then he spoke, to the, he spoke and he said to those who were standing before Joshua, and he said, remove the filthy garments from him. And then he said, I have taken away your iniquity, and I will clothe you with festal robes. God is looking at Joshua, standing before him, unclean, unworthy, and he says, yeah, 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 I know, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take away everything that makes you unworthy, and I'm going to clothe you with festal clothes. When we read throughout the New Testament scriptures, there's this imagery that comes up of being clothed in Christ. It's referring to this process. In Jesus Christ, you are now clothed in Christ, and all of your unworthiness has been dealt with. It's done. And it's not done because you somehow found better clothes. It's not done because you got out the OxyClean and you got these things clean enough. It's done because Christ said, I will clothe you and make you worthy. Paul, when he's writing and he says, the one thing I do is I press on I press on in my faith. I press on in my journey. I reach forward to what lies ahead. But part of that process is forgetting what is in the past. Looking past the past. The shame that you feel, that you think defines you, is finished in Christ. It is done in Christ. That is not who you are anymore. I want you to hear that. That is not who you are anymore. You have a new identity because of what Christ has done for you. Period. We need to look past our past. Then Paul goes on and he says, so we want to look past our our, our failures that lead to guilt and shame. And then he says, press on looking towards what lies ahead. Now this is one of the things, currently I'm a part of a team I'm coaching one of our uh, local all-star teams. And, um, 
And a little side note, in the city of Encinitas, we have two different little leagues, and there's four divisions of ages, and our city has won, we're the district champions in all four, so you know, little surfer kids, I guess, can play baseball. It's kind of fun. So I'm coaching one of those teams, though, and and we have a, a pretty talented team, but one of our players, who happens to be one of our very best hitters, the first two games of this tournament, went 0 for 7. He didn't have any hits and seven at-bats. And he kept telling me, yeah, coach, I was, how you doing today? He'd say, oh, coach, uh, not, I'd be better if I wasn't 0 for 7. Kept saying, I'm 0 for 7. I'm 0 for 7. Every practice, uh, I'd be better. If I, and I had to just stop him, pull him aside, and look at him and say, your past is in the past. You're not 0 for 7 anymore. You're 0 for 0. Part of my role on the team is the team psychologist. And so... <laughs> Um, and, fortu- and, and the boys have said, hey, can you also pray before the games? I'm like, yeah, I am, but yeah, if you want me to. So I'm psychologist and pastor of, of this team. But looking at him and just saying, your past, forget the 0 for 7. That is not who you are. I know how you can hit. And that is, how many of us look through our life with Christ and we say, oh, I'm 0 for 7. Oh, I'm 1 for 10. God, I haven't done anything for you. I haven't succeeded in my faith in so long as if there's success and failure, right? And you keep letting that define who you are, but that's not the truth. So with these players, I have to say, you know, the only thing that matters is the next at-bat. The only thing that matters is the next pitch. It's the only thing that matters is the game that's before us. Let's look at what lies ahead. What matters in our Christian walk with Jesus as we, as, as we experience what it means to have more of him and less than us is not yesterday, but it's what he's doing in you now and what it's going to look like tomorrow. So Paul says, I forget what lies behind and I reach forward to what lies ahead. In running a marathon, if you only think of what lies behind, you're struggling. But when you can reach forward to what lies ahead, you'll succeed. After first service, somebody told me that she actually ran a half marathon. It's about 13 miles. And she said her goal was to make it just 10 miles. And, and she said, because I know that if you don't hit 10 miles at a certain time, the, um, as she described it, the loser bus will pick you up and, 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 and bring you forward. And so she said, my only goal was to get to 10 miles before the loser bus caught up to me. <laughs> Sorry if you've ever been picked up by the loser bus. <laughs> um, I start off all those races on it. Like, I'll just, I'll just hang out here. Um, but yeah, so she said, but when she got to 10 miles, she said she started bonking, kind of running out of energy, and she realized because her goal was 10 miles, and she still had three more to go. <laughs> the importance of looking at what lies ahead and saying, there's more. I want more of you, Jesus. I want more of your life in me. I don't ever want to get to a point where I say, I've arrived. I'm here, because there's always, Jesus, less of me, more of you. Paul says, I look forward to what, I reach forward to what lies ahead. In another uh, verse here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul writes this. I have it on the screen for you. He says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. Then they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we are an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim, I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I will not be disqualified. Now, in this passage, Paul is talking about the importance of of staying focused on what lies ahead. 
And I want to make a disclaimer. I've often read this passage from a point that made me leave saying, I need to try harder and become more and more spiritual. I need to be the most disciplined Christian in the world. I need to, if I woke up at 5 a.m. to study scripture yesterday, tomorrow it's got to be 4.55. And, and we can look at this and think what he's saying is, you are competing as if this, you're, you know, you're an athlete competing as a Christian, so you got to get better and better and better and stronger and stronger and stronger. And I don't believe that's the point. I think what Paul is saying is we want to remain focused. That's why he says it's not as if I'm beating the air. It's not as if I'm running aimlessly. But I understand what lies ahead, and that is a life in Christ. It's this idea that every morning you start off and say, Jesus, I need more of you and less of me. That's what lies ahead. That's where we're heading towards. That's the focus. It's this idea of understanding what the goal is. More of Christ. There's a story that I, I've seen in actually two different leadership books, and it, it talks about the importance of focus and actually what can happen. And it's a story of this family. They own two uh, like golden retriever dogs. They're bigger dogs. And they lived next to an alley, and one day a, a bulldog was walking down the alley and found a hole in the fence. And the bulldog saw the hole in the fence and went under the fence and picked a fight with the two bigger dogs. And it wasn't much of a match for the bigger dogs. They kind of wrestled around and it was like hair and barking flying everywhere. And, and the bulldog finally felt defeated and left and went under the fence and, and, and ran off. And then the next morning about the same time, the bulldog came down the street, saw the hole in the fence and went in and picked a fight and, and got beat up again. The story goes on. This family said this bulldog showed up day after day for a couple weeks. Same time every day to fight the dogs. Until finally, one of the owners who was away on, on business for about a week came back and said, is that bulldog still showing up? And his wife said, yeah, watch what happens. And the bulldog showed up in the morning and came through the hole in the fence and the bigger dogs ran and hid. <laughs> now this leadership principle was talking about tackling, uh, staying focused and tackling problems, but I believe that it gives us evidence of what it means in this life of Christ. Is sometimes this tenacity to say, Jesus, every day I want more of you. Eventually, some of the little things that keep getting in the way, all of a sudden aren't there anymore. If we wake up every day and say, okay, I'm going to be, I'm gonna be a, a, a less angry person today, and the, all you're focusing on is the anger, and, and all you're focusing on is on the behavior, sometimes that becomes the focus, and it never leaves. But the more and more we can have the tenacity to say, Jesus, I need more of you, one day we look up and realize, wow, I haven't had road rage in a week. <laughs> Wow, amazing, that person's sitting at the green light and I'm behind them and I'm just here and I'm peaceful. <laughs> Something is changing in me. I don't have, feel the need to go up there and knock on their window and ask them who gave them their license because they clearly are not qualified. <laughs> I've never, never thought that. <laughs> More of Jesus, less of me is what Paul says. Then he goes on in verse 15. He says, therefore, as many of us are as perfect, again, let's change that to mature, who are mature, who are growing in our faith, let's have the same attitude. Let's have this attitude that says the past is in the past. It doesn't define us. Our life in Christ will define us. Let's have this attitude. And then he, I love his writing sometimes. And if you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you. 
kind of trusting the work of the Spirit in their lives. And then verse 16, let us keep living by the same standard to which we've attained. And I do believe that this is a warning for us. It's a theme throughout Scripture of once you've tasted the goodness of God, let's not keep slipping back into the old life. Let's not say, oh, I'm living under the new self. I'm experiencing this life of Christ. And you go, but you know what? For a couple days, let me walk over here. He's saying, no, live up to where you've been. And in this room, we're at different places. And that's okay. That's okay. One thing we mentioned last week is sometimes in church, we kind of, we give the picture of a a disciple of Jesus to be the, the spiritual Navy SEALs, right? The ones who have it all together and the ones who know all the scripture, it's all memorized, they pray four hours a day, they, they serve in the nursery and in the junior high ministry. I mean, they're like, you know, the standard is all the way up here. Sometimes we think that's the standard, but some of you, where you're at today is you just, you need to wake up and say, you know, it, it's something much more simple. Maybe it's the next time you're struggling with your spouse that you learn how to say, will you forgive me, I'm sorry. And that's your step today. That's the peace of Jesus that you can experience today. So Paul said, hey, he didn't say let's all be at this standard today. He said, live up to where you've grown. You're maturing. Live up to where you are, but keep on process. Because we're in process. We're in process. As we end our time here today, I want to invite the worship team to start making their way up. And we're going to end our our morning with a time of communion. I think that is very appropriate when we celebrate what we call communion here. And this is a reminder of the work of Jesus Christ. In a moment, we're going to give you freedom to go, and and we have tables throughout the room, and and we have pieces of bread, and the bread is a reminder of the body of Christ that was broken for you and for me on the cross of Calvary. The sacrifice that Jesus made to cover our past sins and shame. And so in a moment, we'll invite you to go and take that, and remember, wait, Jesus, you have paid for my past. And on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. He wasn't saying, today is finished. He's saying, this power of sin over your life is finished in Jesus Christ. It's finished. And then we'll take the cup, the juice, that will remind us of the blood that Jesus shed, and it's the covenant of his blood. It's the promise that he made to us that He is enough. His work was sufficient for you and for me. We have, really, we have an extended time of communion. And the reason why we want to give you some space, that for some of you here today, you need to hear God remind you of who you really are. Some of you are in here today and you need to be reminded that your sins and failures are paid for in Jesus Christ. Some of you need to be reminded that Your failure doesn't define you. That you are a son or a daughter of Jesus. And I want you to take a moment and just hear the words you need to hear. Maybe for some of you today, it's the first day that you say, God, I've been doubting you. I still don't have all the answers. But today I want to believe. I want to believe that what you've done is enough. And maybe today is your first step on this journey of more of Jesus and less of you. And so as we end our time with communion, we want to invite you to, if you want to go and take it, 
by yourself, you're welcome. If you want to go with somebody else and, and pray, you're welcome to do that. If you want to find a quiet spot around the room, you're welcome to. Let's just let God speak to our hearts here today. Let's look past the past and let's look forward to what lies ahead of a life where it's more of Jesus and less of us. So let's pray. God, we thank you for this time. I thank you for what you have done for us. I thank you that that has covered our past. It's going to cover our failures today. It covers our failures tomorrow. I thank you that what you've done has given us a new identity. We have a new purpose. And Lord, I thank you that all that you have is enough for us. There's nothing more we need to add. It's just you and your life in us. And so we give you this time. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for conquering death and sin. And we thank you for the new life that's available to us today. So I pray that you'd speak to our hearts this morning as we give you this time of worship. In your name, amen.